Welcome to the Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art, where we bring you a new story about your world in every episode. Today's guest is Mark Ramirez, a national correspondent for USA Today, where he covers issues of social justice, inclusion, and self-identity. We'll talk about how the nation's number one circulated newspaper decided to spotlight brown, black, and LGBTQ people, and how those stories are hitting the front page. Thank you for following The Jesse Garcia Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. For more information about the podcast, visit jessegarciashow.com. Before the Stonewall Riots of 1969, news reported about LGBTQ people was mainly negative and unbalanced. For a long time, stories that would outqueer people were the only angle mainstream papers focused on. Often, a person's name, age, address, and crime of homosexual acts would be published as part of the police blotter in local newspapers, which would result in queer people being disowned by their family, fired from their workplace, or targeted for assault and murder. Today, our national news coverage of the LGBTQ community is more balanced, but there's still room for improvement. Mainstream newspapers have adopted ethics, codes, and proper use of terms to cover the LGBTQ community. Positive and fair coverage of our community has always been provided by our own LGBTQ media. Today, we have 32 active LGBTQ newspapers in the United States but we also have 34 LGBTQ papers that have closed shop. As the printed newspaper media constricts because of the digital age, there will be more demand from mainstream newspapers to increase coverage of the LGBTQ community. Big conglomerates are buying out or pushing out small papers, so there will be a need to tell our stories. Let's hope they get it right. You can imagine my surprise when I got called last year to comment on an LGBTQ Latinx story being covered by USA Today, the nation's biggest newspaper with 2.6 million daily readers. The nation's number one newspaper decided to write a piece on transgender murders in the Latino community. At first, I was skeptical at the angle and if it was even a story that would run in its pages. Not only did the story run, The piece took a good amount of column inches, and the reporter followed my advice and spoke to transgender leaders I had recommended to him for the story. A real, honest effort was put forth by a Latino who has been given an amazing role in today's media to cover social justice, inclusion, and self-identity in America. Now let's hear from our ally, Mark Ramirez, how he ended up in our nation's biggest paper, assigned to a most important role. I'm honored to welcome to the show an award-winning reporter who covers beats normally overlooked by major newspapers. Mark Ramirez gets paid to write about communities of color and different sexual identities for the largest paper in the United States, USA Today, which has a daily readership of 2.6 million. It also has an impressive half a million digital subscribers, which includes me. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Hello, thank you for having me. So Mark, before we get into all these questions I have about the way you're able to use your power for good at USA Today, 
what made you decide to become a journalist? Oh, you know, um, I mean, that's a uh... That's that's reaching way back. <laughs> uh, that's my that's my villain origin story, man. That's uh, I basically was, you know, it just came out of a matter of uh, two things, really being um, um, curious about uh, my surroundings and um, and being uh, really a, sh a shy person. I, I was not uh, I was I found, you know, a kind of comfort in dealing with the written word as opposed to talking with people. And so I found that journalism was a good outlet for that to um, not just be able to use my writing, but to be able to ask all the questions I was curious about, but have it be a journalistic use, you know? Um, so once I, once I was able to, um, you know, get the, the grounding in journalism skills and um, realize that's kind of what I wanted to do, I realized very quickly that I could use my voice as a journalist um, as a way to uplift communities that had not been recognized before, including my own in South Phoenix, which is where I grew up. Yeah, I wanted to be a journalist growing up. I went to school to become a journalist, but all the journalism jobs ended when the internet broke in the 90s and oh. all these two paper towns became one paper town. And I unfortunately, was being mentored. Fortunately, I was mentored by a good reporter, but unfortunately, her uh, newspaper was the one that got shut down in San Antonio, the San Antonio Light. Oh, the light, right. Yeah, so the Express News took over and it kind of detoured my career because my mentor and I were looking for careers. <laughs> oh, right. I graduated, I couldn't rely on her to help me give me that lift into mm -hmm. the newsroom. So yeah, I was sort of like, it's sort of like my, it was supposed to be my dream job because I got to do something different every day and learn about things. When you're a reporter, you cover a different topic each day. So it's such a, it's, it's such a like great career to have. If you're that person that has a lot of like, like you're, you're very curious about the world. Um, Absolutely. And you just happen to be working for one of the largest newspapers and influential papers in the United States, the USA Today. How did you land that coveted spot? What was your journey to get to that big newspaper? Well, I'll tell you the short version because the longer version yeah. is easier. Um, <laughs> but I, first of all, yes, I feel I am very lucky to be at this newspaper. I have great colleagues. I work with a very talented team of journalists um, who inspire me every day. Um, I was here, I'm based in Dallas, and I was working um, at the Dallas Morning News. Um, Good paper, and also Seattle yeah. Times, where you, you were yes. part of a group of I, folks that won a Pulitzer, correct? Uh, yeah, we, uh, we won for our, I mean, it was a, it was a you know, basically a news, newsroom-wide effort. Um, it was the, covering the shooting of uh, four police officers in Lakewood, which is um, about 40 minutes south of, of Seattle. Um, so yeah, I was part of the team that covered that covered the the shooting in the aftermath. Um, so that was quite an honor too. Um, so uh, basically, I, you know, I, I I went from the Seattle Times to the Dallas Morning News. Um, spent about uh, eleven years there, and um, actually, it was just about ten years. Well, just about almost exactly ten years. And um, and then I heard from um, an editor at USA Today um, that. Uh, 
you know, I hadn't, I had, to be honest, I had not had USA Today on my radar for a long time because for, you know, when USA Today first came out, um, it, it was uh, it was it was a very different newspaper, um, not doing a lot of in-depth coverage. And and to my surprise, um, the newspaper was doing a lot more. Yeah, because back coverage. then it was considered mm-hmm. an easy read, something right. you could pick up. It was in the hotels little, and the airports. Yeah, <laughs> little, you know, little capture. You know, like it didn't go into in-depth. It's basically what we consider our news, what we consume the news today, little tidbits mm-hmm. of information. That's the yeah. way USA Today was back in the day. <laughs> it was kind of like TV news in written form in a way, you know, it was very exactly. short, not very, very in depth, but but um, but as I learned, um, the paper had completely changed. And um, in fact, had, been, had started this, had launched this team of social justice and enterprise reporters and um, this was an opportunity to be part of this team. So I'm part of a social justice team that covers anything from immigration to uh, housing issues and social justice issues. Um, And my particular position was to be covering issues of self-identity and inclusion. Um, So I do uh, write a lot about um, race and gender and sexuality um, even even um, spirituality and youth issues and senior issues. So it's any 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 community that has an identity. Um, so it's it's fairly broad, um, but it's also very uh, free because it's um, you know almost almost anything any topic that's out there in the news you can look at through one of the lenses of my beat. So that's just amazing because not that many p- national papers dedicate time to writing about these specific communities. You have to be in those communities. Like if I ever wanna read about LGBT news on a daily basis, I would have to go to the weekly paper if there's any left uh, actual papers. Now it's gone mainly digital to the local communities. They have their, their standard gay papers. And then we have our Latino papers, some right. of them in English, some of them in Spanish, very few Spanish ones. I mean, English ones dedicated to Latino community, but they're coming up because it's uh, uh, there's English dominant Latino market out there. So for the USA Today to throw some money at this, hire reporters, that's a big wow. When did this all take place? I would say this started uh, at least a couple of years ago. Okay, it's um, mostly recent, yeah. Yeah, and I joined the newspaper, I've been here just about over a year, a little bit over a year, maybe a year and a quarter. Um, and I, again, I just feel like I'm feeling incredibly lucky to be able to, to not only write about these issues, which is, which have always been near and dear to me, but, but to do it on this, with, on this platform is really, really a privilege. Yeah. You got my dream job, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) So you get to write about diversity and inclusion all around, you know, delving into these topics in the number one paper in the United States, how's that affected you? and the reaction to your stories? It's an interesting question. So I know that, um, you know, in terms of the negative feedback you might expect I get, that is definitely there, especially when I, you know, no doubt when I write about LGBT issues, that is hands down the number one issue about which I'm going to get negative feedback. Um, You know, very little of it is based in fact, Uh, it's, you know, a lot of them are screeds or in all in capital letters. I mean, it's it's fairly predictable. 
so you know when actually when I you know occasionally when I do get the the uh, the rare email that is that has a good point to make and makes it um, civilly respectfully, uh, I I take care to engage with them because you know I think that's this is you know what we do in journalism is to is to create a dialogue an exchange to put ideas out there and so I welcome that when people people um, want to bring those ideas to me but um, to be honest most of most of the responses I get um, especially on these issues are not are not that way I was very surprised when you contacted me I think it was last year to do a story on uh, the trans movement the the reaction of the Latino community to trans murders and um, I was just blown away. There was a USA Today reporter that was was seeking information from LGBT Latino activists on the ground, and I was like, "Wow, they're finally seeing us as part of this community. You know, the fabric of the United States. That our opinions matter and our issues matter." And it, it just blew my mind. First of all, I want to say uh, I was surprised that you dug down deep <laughs> and you were able to find me. So thank you for doing your research and seeing who's in what community. And, and I'm so like ready to help you connect you to others in the community when you're writing your stories. But what's some of the surprising things you have come across when you write about these specific communities, for instance, the Latino LGBTQ community? Well, I guess in terms of that, um, I mean, I, you know, I kind of come in with a general story idea, right? So um, unless something in the reporting um, really, um, you know, contradicts the ideas that I came in with, um, I don't, I don't find anything that's that's um, overwhelmingly surprising. But, but I think just the the scale of the sometimes of the facts themselves, like for instance, the, the story I did contact you about, which was about the um, the um, incredibly uh, you know, horrific murder rate of transgender um, people in, in, in the community, in the trans, of murders of women in the transgender community, um, particularly among um, Latino, Latinas, um, that was surprising just because I did not realize the scale of that. And in fact, I think there was a, there was a, a two year period where 12, um, 12 Latina transgenders uh, people were killed in that in that time frame, and um, many of them were occurring in Puerto Rico, and that was certainly a surprise. So, um, I think I think sometimes as we as I am um, you know just combing through um, sources and story ideas and and just the, you know just looking through um, other publications or newsletters or uh, information that's out there studies. Um, sometimes the, you know, as you, as you read closer, sometimes many of the results are predictable, but if you read deeper, you might find facts that surprise me. And that's what happened in this case. This, I had read a report from Human Rights Campaign that was, that had talked about the overall figure of, of murders, of killings of transgender people nationwide, but um, had not realized that so many of them were centered in Puerto Rico. So that, that's, a, that, that's an example of a surprise that, that I came across. Yes, it's very unfortunate because a lot of Latinas and African-American trans mm -hmm. women that are taken each year, they're, they're often misgendered. So that numbers often, they might report a number, but that number might be even lower because compared to the real number, because people who investigate these murders or report on these murders often misgender and they mm -hmm. and and 
that hate crime is not reported accurately. That's correct. You're doing a great job. Um, I remember insisting that you you do talk to me, but to talk to trans women in the community who are leaders in the movement, and you did, because they send, sometimes reporters tend to go to the persons in charge of the gay community, the LGBTQ community, which often is a male, cisgendered male. Mm-hmm. But we need to direct that attention to the people that are actually in the community, working in that community. And I appreciate that you made that effort of going reaching out to those individuals. Thank you. I was going to actually make that point earlier as well, because I think that's something that um, that uh, my team and, you know, thanks. We, we, we have a very good editor on our team, um, Christina Silva, and she is wonderful at directing um, those kinds of efforts and making sure that we do, if we're writing about a particular community, that uh, that we do find people from that community to reflect the story, to to voice their opinions, because um, yeah, you can't just always be writing from the Eagles point of view. You have to, you have to get down and, and really understand by talking to the people who are living what you're writing about. So we're basically in a, in the digital era of newspapers, uh, that have to compete with so many sources for news, so many sources, stuff that are, you know, from apps to, to TV where they get their information, but growing in my generation, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I guess Gen X. Yes, uh, I grew up when yeah we still had newspapers. Growing up, I respected the newspaper. It I actually worked in a newspaper, putting it together in production as a summer job. I remember still laying out the actual uh, the 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 stripe to right. separate the, the, the advertisements before it went to go print. I mean, yep, that's, I how that. I am. that's how old I am that I remember, you know, Same. working the obituaries, making sure that all of them lined up correctly. And I got that job because my mom who worked in advertising for the newspaper was able to convince her old coworker, hey, can you hire my kid for the summer? And I worked there and the ink, oh my God, I would smell like, <laughs> but that's, that was my, that's what got me into newspaper. I worked at a college newspaper, was the editor, went to grad school, became the law editor. So newspapers have been a way of life for me and I'm seeing them, their, their, their prestige almost go away. Why is it important to keep papers like USA Today alive? Well, I mean, simply put, you're going to find a, uh, a level of um, depth and uh, resources that, uh, that you're not going to find from other sources. Um, you know, a commitment to investigative journalism, um, to, I mean, our, our, our role, it, a journalist in general, our you know, journalism in general, our role is one of the four pillars of society, right? We're, we're supposed to hold, uh, hold authority to account. To account. To make sure that that things are working that the, the way they're supposed to work. So, um, you know, and and writing about communities that, that are underserved. And so, um, you get all of those things from a newspaper like USA Today or any of the larger newspapers. Um, you know, and certainly other newspapers as well. Um, you know, there's there's definitely networks and there's there's a variety of journal of, of journalistic sources that that you're going to get this from. But um, but you know you're going to get that from a newspaper like USA Today. Um, so, um, you know, if you, whether it's going to be, you know, political coverage, which is what most people are, what are with, I'm sorry, what a large segment of people associate newspapers with, um, you know, but, you know, talking about 
um, again, you know, community journalism, um, investigative projects that look at, at, at uh, failings in how city, you know, infrastructures are, are, are failing to operate um, or, um, you know, how, you know, how to take care of your finances. Um, it, it's, a, it's all across the board, right? And then you've got beats like mine, where we're covering social issues um, to a depth that most of the newspapers aren't. Um, not just in one community, but across the nation. So, um, you know, I think I think because you get all those things from a newspaper, um, that's 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 why it's still important to keep us around. I'm I'm just thinking for the the kid out there that's doing our book report. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be able to get any type of information off of like, you know, TV digital websites, you know, TV news websites. You're going to have to go to newspapers that write about the subject, and it's big, big context, giving you a lot of background. So it's like, if you're ever doing research, you're gonna have to eventually use a newspaper's website to get all the information on your subject, you know? So I'm, I'm just thinking mm -hmm. at that point when you really wanna understand an issue in its totality, newspaper articles are the way to go, especially if you wanna get current opinion. So can you right. give me a preview of any stories that are coming up for you that you're working on? Well, you know, that's difficult because uh, I really don't know from week to week what I'm going to oh, do. Oh, really? So that's pretty simple. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it uh, you know, I mean, that's one of the exciting things about the job, right? Every day is different. And, um, you know, I, I came into today not really knowing what I was going to be working on for the week. And yet my my charge as, as a USA Today journalist uh, in my, on my team is I've got to come up with one or two stories by the end of the week. So, um, I can say that um, that I will likely be working on something related to. Um, it's, we were coming up on the one-year anniversary of the um, <clears throat> of the mass shooting in Indianapolis last year, where at the FedEx facility, where eight people were killed and four of them were members of the Sikh community. Oh, that's um, great. And so um, this is hopefully going to be a story looking at um, at uh, you know how, what what has changed since how how the community is not only dealing with it but um, you know maybe what are some of the, the positive changes that may have come out of that in terms of the community um, being the community being uh, the C community uh, relations with the greater community maybe being being strengthened by the whole thing. Do you, you write on some very serious stuff? Do you ever get to write on some fun stuff? You used to be a food editor, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, a what, what editor? You should be a food editor. Well, no, I've just always had that interest, man. I, I really, you know, if I had if I had my dream job, it would be to write about food. That's, <laughs> that's really what I want to do, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I've been trying to do it for years, and I just, you know, now that I've gotten so deep into the news weeds, it's hard. It's it's just uh, it's kind of hard to make that move. But that's honestly what I would rather be doing. <laughs> um, food or just writing about. Um... You know, food from a cultural standpoint, like I love, like, you know, I love food, right? Who doesn't love food? But, but, you know, I really love digging into like the, the reason that we, that, that, uh, that cultures have the different foods that they have, or, you know, especially when you see like, you know, food, um, different foods from different countries or cultures yep. meld and, you know, looking at, at exploring the, the reasons why that happened, um, you know, um, the cultural traditions that may exist. I did, a, I did kind of a really fun story for uh, the Dallas Morning News a few years ago um, about there's a there's a little Japanese restaurant in in Dallas, and they started a tradition. Um, I don't remember the number, and and I'm ashamed to say that, but it's it's basically the number. Uh, it's a it's 27, I believe. Uh huh. I could be wrong about that. It's it's 20 something, 27. and the and and it's um, 
the thing is that when you when you talk when you when you say the numbers two and seven in Japanese, it sounds a lot like the Japanese word for meat. And so every 27th of the month, let's say yeah. it's the 27th for sure, um, they, they'll have this restaurant will we'll do but something that's, that's, uh, that's done in Japan as well, which is to have a meat day. So all their meats will be on special or they'll have some kind oh, of okay. special. So it's, it's, a, it's a Japanese grill. And so that, that's, it's kind of a normal, you know, natural offering for them. Um, you know, that's something, not, not something every Japanese restaurant could do, but because it's a grill, um, they kind of they kind of play on that, and so I, it, because it's something that's done in Japan as well, um, and now this restaurant in Dallas was doing it. I just thought it was super interesting to write about. Um, yeah. So looking at, at traditions like that, I think is traditions and food is something that is very appealing to so many people. This yeah, is, that was my my very first show on this podcast, episode one, La Tamalada. I basically was able to give like, <laughs> of how the tamal got created how we use it as as a celebrate to celebrate holidays in the latino uh, community yeah and, and how we make money how my my family made money during the cold winter months selling tamales to help make ends meet it was it it, it serves a lot of purposes so yeah right. writing about yeah. food talking about food and traditions you can't go wrong with that that's fun stuff it, it brings me a lot of joy. So it was something I did. It was something I did on the side. Um, and I'm, I'm sorry, what was the what was the question that led us to this? Yeah, basically, the do you get to write about anything that's fun? And oh. I said, because I had mentioned that you right. were a food editor. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, because I write about social issues, um, much of it is going to be based on things one per would perceive as negative. Um, so, you know, sometimes I do get to write. <coughs> I do get to write about the people who are who are out there making, you know, uh, creating uh, positive effects in, 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 in against some of these problems. Um, but you know, around around uh, the turn of the year, around Christmas time, actually, um, I wrote about the this this guy in Houston. Um, uh, it's a, a character that goes back to the '50s, but he had created this real persona called Pancho Claus. Yes. And, um, yeah, and so you know, I think it was originally a. Uh, it might have been a Lala Guerrero song, um, and I think that's where the whole idea started. But it, you know, it, it, there's been renditions of it throughout the years, and and it was really just a you know some it, it was a way to for Santa Claus to appear to you know Latino kids, to Mexican kids in particular. Um, but there's a guy in Houston who's been doing this for like 40 years, um, and he wears a, a red zoot suit, and and he uh, he drives in a big you know. Uh, convertible and he's got boxes of toys and he just starts distributing them to the kids you know he shows up in like in, like, in communities in Houston where the uh, where, where it's a lot of immigrant kids yes. um, from Mexico and other in other countries um, and he distributes toys and it's just a you know a way for him to it, it brings him a lot of joy and and um, he's a kind of a, a culturally um, meaningful representation of Santa Claus to to the kids so that was a lot of fun yeah, I, I really, I really enjoyed doing that, and I would like to do more stories like that. Where can people follow you um, to get those stories? Well, <laughs> you know, yeah. you mentioned that, uh, as, like, as, as, we, as we talked about, like, <clears throat> I was really hoping to. I, I thought, you know, going back fifteen years, I was actually in the features department at the Seattle Times, and. Um, I, I really felt like I had found a home there and uh, I thought I was gonna be a features writer. So that was around the time that Twitter came along, right? Yeah. So I was looking for a, a handle to, to be, uh, that would fit being a features writer. And so I came up with the handle typewriter ninja. 
Okay, good. <laughs> and so um, as it happened, um, you know, newspapers were hitting the hard times and um, the Seattle Times had to uh, basically axe its features department. And so ever since I've been a news reporter with the with the Twitter handle typewriter ninja. So that's how you find me on social media is, 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 is looking for typewriter ninja. Great. And then you also in the is it the features or uh, section? It's of all, I'm sorry. It's a, it's all my uh, it's all oh, my coverage. You're in the news USA today. <laughs> What section of the newspaper do you mainly come out in? Most of my stories are going to be in the um, the front section, the news section. All right, good. That's what we want them. Mark, thank you so much for being an ally and for covering our community. And not that many people get to read about LGBT Latino issues, and you're putting them right there in the in in, in the front page, so they could experience what we experience. And it means a lot to me. Thank well, thank you. you. Yeah, I'm glad to be doing my part. And thank you for having me.